Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Well, good, good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. I'm so glad you're here to worship with us. Um, as you may have noticed, our Barry is not here. He and his family are actually in Hawaii, and so we can be happy for them, even as we sit here in what is supposed to be one of the rainiest weeks of the year so far. So, But it's good, because we're Northwesterners, and so we like the rain. We get nervous when it doesn't rain. <laughs> so, well, we will be starting a new sermon series next week. Um, which is the five words of worship. But this is one of those in-between weeks where Barry says, preach on whatever you want. And that is a formidable task to figure out what am I going to preach on. And so I thought I'd do a small little subject called the kingdom of God. Why not? Why not? And so... That's what we're going to spend some time in this morning, is the kingdom of God. So here we go. So in the Gospels, we read about the imperative and the invitation to repent for the kingdom of God is near. John the Baptist made it the center of his message as he prepared the way for Jesus to come. And then Jesus used it as he began his ministry. His message was the invitation to repent and the proclamation of the good news that the kingdom of God was near. The message of the good news was proclaimed by God become flesh when he came and dwelt among us. And this same message of good news and promise that Jesus introduced when he lived on the earth has been heard over the centuries. And it's the invitation that we have right now that we are living into. And it's the invitation and promise that Jesus will continue to offer future generations. Jesus spent his time on earth unpacking for us the kingdom of God. And he didn't use three-point outlines, which I promise you I will use this morning because it's what I do. But he did use parables. He used stories that his hearers could relate to and that would also be able to spark their imagination and emotions to partner with their brains so that they could catch a glimpse of what this new kingdom would be like. Parables kind of level the playing field among his hearers so that the kingdom was accessible to all regardless of their socioeconomic, political, or religious status. Christ's message of the good news of the kingdom was unnerving, and it was hard to quantify, and that was by design, because the good news is a message that was open to all and continues to be open to all. Like I said, we could spend many weeks seeking to unpack the reality of the kingdom and what it means for us, but again, I will try to do it in one week. But what do we need to know this morning? I want to focus on three aspects of the kingdom. First of all, that this kingdom is ruled by Christ, who is established as both king and priest. 
And then also that as participants in his kingdom, we are invited to have deep roots and a wide reach. And then finally, that as participants, we experience the work of God in our lives so that we can infuse the world with God's presence. So first of all, we are ruled by Christ, who is both priest and king. Jesus came to introduce a new kingdom where he was both king and priest. Through the law of Moses, priests came from the tribe of Levi. So Aaron and Eli and all the priests came from the tribe, and it was unthinkable that they would come from anywhere else. Their authority was based on their clan. And in the same way, kings came from the tribe of Judah. Saul, David, Solomon, all belonged to the tribe of Judah. In the law of Moses, there was a strong structure of authority. And it didn't always ensure good leadership because these structures were fleshed out by humans. So think of Eli, who throughout his ministry as a priest was unable to follow through with his responsibilities as a father. And at the same time, he raised up Samuel to be a prophet to the Israelites. And think of Saul, the first king of Israel, who struggled to be an example to those he ruled. And then David, who was called a man after God's own heart, and yet at the same time, he struggled with sin. And it's in this context, in this social and religious structure that had been established by the law of Moses and continued in to when the kings reigned, that David writes, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends out from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your foes. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews also references Melchizedek in and is more direct in what David was saying when, he, when this, that author says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God, met Abraham as he was returning from defeating the kings, and he blessed him. So before the laws of Moses were established and the order and responsibilities were in place, God used Melchizedek who scripture says was both a king and a priest, to bless Abram. And this man, whose role and purpose transcended the laws that would eventually be set up, is the model for our king and our priest, our Lord. The kingdom that is near, that we are invited to, is a kingdom that transcends the political and religious systems throughout history. That is why we can be grateful for what God has done in the past through Christ, for what God is doing now in our midst, and what God will continue to do in the future. What does it mean that we live in a kingdom where Jesus is both king and priest? What role does Jesus play as the king, and what role does Jesus play as the priest? Well, I would invite us to look at the parable of the landowner to catch a glimpse of what it means. In Matthew 20, Jesus 
teaches, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go also into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received a denarius. Now when the first who had come saw, they thought they would receive more but each of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only an hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now, is this parable uncomfortable for any of you? (laughs) I think every time I read this, it is an uncomfortable parable. Because we live in a material world where there is a direct transactional relationship between our work and our reward. We want to work hard and we want to be rewarded for it. We want things to be fair. Jesus is king and he is priest in this kingdom that he established and that he has invited us to. It is a kingdom where we are invited to participate in the work and to reap the rewards of our work in him. And it is a kingdom where the king is the one who writes the rules. And this king is also a high priest, motivated by mercy and generosity, continuing to invite others to join him and showering his promised grace and mercy on all of us. In this kingdom, we as, participant, we as participants don't make the rules, but we continue to learn from Christ what those rules are that shape us and our identity in the world. This kingdom transcends the rule that nations set up to identify themselves. We are invited to join this kingdom as Jesus, our king and priest, works in, through, and around us for his glory. So how are we doing at living into the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus is both our king and our priest? How are we tuning our hearts into the character of Christ so that the generosity and mercy of God that we are experiencing spills over into our context, whatever that might be? And so for my last two points, I want to suggest two ways that we do this. 
First of all, we remember that we are invited to be people whose roots are deep so that our reach can be wide. In Matthew 13, 31, and 32, which Jenny um, read for us this morning, he says, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. As followers of Jesus and participants in his kingdom, we are invited to develop deep roots that we might have a wide reach. God's work, God's rule continues in the soil of our souls, strengthening our roots in the darkness so that what grows above ground can be a blessing for others. I know many of you are gardeners and have been gardeners in the past, and I've talked about my own attempts at it. My husband Glenn and I are especially um, drawn to that rack in the back of the nursery where all the half Price plants are, and they're hardly worth that at that point. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so the la- one of the last times we went to Oregon, we stopped at a, a nursery and sure enough went to the back rack and found way too many plants that were on their last legs, so to speak. And one of them was a Japanese maple. And as we were paying for them, the owner of the nursery said, oh, this is a good deal. But you have to make sure that when you repot it, that you work the roots out so that they can start growing again, so that they can start to support the growth up above. The roots at that point were sufficient to support the tree at its current size, but not to support ongoing external growth. And it was a good tip, and we appreciated it. We repotted it, and we will see what happens. But I also think that this is a great example of how the health of our roots determines the health of the tree. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, small and insignificant, until it is sown and planted in rich soil. This is an analogy that Jesus uses over and over again in his teachings to stress the importance of roots. He uses the parable of the sower and the seeds, seeds that were strewn, that flourished only to the point that their roots did. He talked about seeds that were sown and then found themselves surrounded by weeds, but the farmer knew that to pull out the weeds would also pull out the tender roots of the plants. In this Kingdom roots are important, as Jesus said over and over again. David writes in Psalm 1, Happy are those who who find their delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither, and in all they do they prosper. To be rooted is to draw our identity, our strength, our worth, and our purpose from God. It is to find nourishment in God who gives us mercy for our past, gives us strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. When we are rooted in who God says God is and who God says we are, 
We can sway with the winds of difficulty, touched by them, but certainly not destroyed. We can sway when we are hurt by, by others, acknowledging the pain, but insured and safe, because our roots are deeply embedded in God's truth about who we are. And we can be places of refuge and shade for others who need the nourishment and protection of God as well. The fruit of our rootedness in the kingdom of God, I think, is described much more directly by Jesus and what the kingdom is. In Matthew 5, we read that Jesus looked around and he saw all the crowds that were starting to follow him. And then he saw the disciples whom he had chosen to follow him closely. They were probably wide-eyed looking around at the popularity of this leader who had invited them to follow him and felt close to fame. And Jesus pulled those disciples near him and he taught them what the kingdom of heaven would look like. Contrary to what the disciples saw around them and maybe even what they were hoping for in this newfound popularity of their leader, Jesus taught them that the ones who were blessed in God's kingdom were the poor, the ones who mourn, the meek, the ones who are hungry for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and those persecuted for righteousness. The description of the fruit of the kingdom starts there, and then Jesus begins to unpack it in the next several chapters. And these chapters are filled with descriptions of behavior that in many ways seem impossible and even in direct opposition to the culture in which we live, both in which they lived and then in the culture that we live now. The kingdom whose fruit Jesus described in this sermon is good news because it describes what happens in and around and through us when Jesus is our king and our priest. As Jesus outlined the fruit of the kingdom to his disciples and to us, he helped us see that the living kingdom lives with kingdom values, and it requires us to be deeply rooted in the life of our king and priest in order to live out. In the kingdom of God, our fruit is a result of our rootedness in Christ. The slow work of root growth is not wasted on God, who will continue to do the work of the kingdom in us until we are perfected in Christ. Simone Vale was an author and a poet, and she said it very well when she wrote, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. The work of the kingdom done in the dark soil of our souls is as precious to God as the fruit. We are invited to rootedness with God. And then thirdly, in this kingdom, we tune our hearts into Jesus, our king and priest, by experiencing the hands-on work of God. He told them another parable, Matthew 13, 33. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. I love how specific that is. Three measures of flour. Maybe Jesus made, made um, 
spread as well. But here is another one-verse parable to help us describe the kingdom. As a woman mixes the yeast in with the dough, so God mixes his kingdom into us and then into the world. So when I was growing up, my mom would make bread weekly for us, this family of six. There was nothing better than coming home from school and smelling the fresh bread just wafting through the house and then being able to sit down to a warm slice with margarine on it, not butter. It was margarine. I didn't even know what butter was at that point. And I remember her, remember watching her make it. She would mix together the warm water and the yeast and let it sit for a little bit. And then she would open the big flour drawer, and I mean the big flour drawer, The flour wasn't in a bag or anything. It was in the drawer. And she started scooping out cups. And for a while, she could stir in her big Tupperware bowl, adding the flour. But at some point, she had to dump the dough out and begin kneading it together. It took strength. It took time. It took strong arms and it took work for her to mix it all together so that the loaves would raise evenly and bake beautifully. And from my point of view, it was worth it. So as Jesus shared this parable, no doubt there were women in the crowd and their hearts were especially stirred by this parable as they recounted how many times, maybe too many to count actually, that they had worked yeast into dough in order to make bread for their family. They knew that it took time and work and strength to do it. And probably for every time after that, when they went to the work of baking bread, they pondered in a new way this kingdom and how Jesus was working his rule into the hearts of his people and through them nourishing the world. And so as these women worked the dough to nourish their family, Jesus is working the people of his kingdom so that they might spread out into every corner of the world. Flour, yeast, water, these are all raw ingredients, and in and of themselves, they're pretty limited in their usefulness. But when they are mixed and kneaded, they become bread. In the kingdom of heaven, God's rule is kneaded into us, and we are kneaded together so that we can be bread for the world. The quality of the yeast, which is the essence of the kingdom of God, determines the quality of the bread, and it also takes the work of God's kneading process to complete us. Jesus spoke about yeast in another place where he warned the disciples to beware the yeast of the religious leaders, to be discerning of the teachings of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We know there are other influences that can act as yeast in our lives, that can invade our lives and perspectives when we are not discerning and we're not willing to trade lesser yeast for the yeast of the everlasting kingdom. 
Now, I would suggest that there is more to the yeast of the kingdom of God because there is a triune God behind its essence. This yeast invades our minds, our bodies, and our spirits. It expands in our souls, and then God works it into the rest of ourselves for the rest of our lives. The expansion is God's work infusing our lives with the values of God's kingdom, where again, the ones who are blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are meek, who mourn and are hungry for righteousness, who are merciful and peacemakers, pure in heart, and those who receive persecution with grace. The work of yeast that we bring into the world is often work that is secret. Jesus reminded his followers in Matthew 6, 1, to beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. I have to say that this past week I have borne witness to the yeast of the kingdom being kneaded into the world around us. And it's been in ways that has been seen by very few people. In a world where our public personas and the works that we do are judged and deemed by others, whether or not they are worthy, Jesus invites us to quietly work his kingdom of love and justice, righteousness, and mercy into our context in ways that may be only seen by him. When we allow ourselves to do good work in secret, the kingdom is being worked into us even as we participate in the working of his kingdom into the world. So what does the needing work of God look like in, in your life and through your life? How are you cultivating and maintaining the quality of that yeast? Well, as we head towards the closing, more questions. What of the kingdom are you taking with you this morning as you go into another week? As you look at your life and your work and your planner, what is it that Jesus, king and priest, might be inviting you to this week? What does it look like to cultivate soil that allows the deepening of your roots so that the kingdom of God present in this world can be a place of refuge and safety for the vulnerable and for those who need rest? And what does it look like to allow the yeast of God's character and values to be needed into you in love through the Holy Spirit so that you can infuse your context with love and truth grace, and wisdom. May God's kingdom continue to grow in our open hearts that we might invade our world with his everlasting reign, see our work as God's work, and God's work as our work, and live in the truth that our king and priest is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your goodness and for your faithfulness across the centuries, today and now into the future. 
God, we pray that your kingdom will come, will be rooted in our lives, that you will need your essence into our lives, that we might be for you, your hands and feet in the world. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you are already doing this, ways that don't hit the news, but that certainly are precious in your sight. Help us to be faithful and all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.